The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Which apparently means... Thank you for supporting Safe Piercing in Russian, and that is one of the things that I got to learn this week. Uh, there is a Russian conference coming up, and uh, they they asked a few different piercers to make a little video and just kind of say something welcoming uh, people for uh, for the opening of the conference. So they asked me to record that, and I I cannot wrap my head around how much smarter some people are than me sometimes because of just language skills. You know, I, I talk to people um, like Sala, uh, like Brian Skelly, that can just think and speak in different languages kind of on the fly, and it's just so easy for them, you know? And for me, I, I struggle so much that I can I can barely say hello or thank you in different languages when I go to different countries. So um, if you're an American and you are having children, Teach them different languages from a very young age, please. Um, I wish that I had had stronger language skills. I wish that I had taken some alternate languages when I was in school, but uh, I didn't. So anyway, uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, This week I've got three smaller interviews rather than one large interview. I'm going to uh, start the show with John Robertson. He's one of the volunteers at conference. Um, We had a little bit of a conversation out on the strip. There's a lot of background noise. So I apologize for that, but it's a nice talk with uh, with John. You know, he's been volunteering for the last few years. He was uh, an LD scholar and uh, just a really nice guy. Like hanging out with him whenever I get the chance. So uh, we talk a little bit about um, you know what he's looking forward to for the week and um, how he even picked his studio name. Uh, after that, I sit down and I talk to Danny Greenwood a little bit. Uh, some some of you might know her as Danny the Girl uh, online. Uh, Danny does a lot of behind-the-scenes work for the APP. So any of those brochures that you've seen, um, any different flyers you've seen, any merch you've seen, t-shirts or mugs or hoodies or bags or or whatever, um, Danny's responsible for a lot of that design work. So um, Danny's also a really talented uh, jewelry salesperson, does a lot of great work out at Cold Steel in San Francisco. So we talk a little bit about, um, you know, different jewelry principles, different ideas. We chat for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. And then um, I had uh, my buddy Ed stop by again. Ed Chavaria was doing a, another guest spot at the Piercing Emporium in Worcester. And, uh, you know, we sit down and we just kind of talk a little bit for, you know, about a half hour or so. Um, it's good conversation. We talk about uh, the passing of Fakir. Um, really big moment for the industry. You know, um, I, I know I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago that uh, Fakir's health was failing. And, uh, you know, w- within the, the past week or so, Fakir passed away. And, uh, you know, a, a big moment for the industry. You know, not really a lot of people to uh, step in and, and fill that sarong. Um, but, uh, you know, we talk about different ideas about uh, who the, the future leaders will be and, um, you know, what it, what it takes to be a future leader in the industry. So let's just kind of get into that episode. And uh, first interview is with John Robertson. Talk about what you're looking forward to for the week, but start off like do a, you know, say who you are, where yeah. you work, okay. social media. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a John Robertson. I'm a piercer um, at Tiger Lotus Tattoo in Fort Myers, Florida. How did you pick that name? Well, um, I, I, I wanted like a really kind of happy, inviting kind of sounding shop name. Um, and all the ideas that I, that I came up with were already taken. Um, so as I was doing a little bit more research into some of my, my original ideas, I, I stumbled across other stuff on the internet. And, um, so I guess ultimately I wanted, I wanted to call the shop White Lotus. Yeah. I know that sounds kind of weird, but yeah. you know, like Kill Bill, like the right. High May, the White Lotus and yeah. stuff. And I just thought that sounded cool. And, um, so as I was like reading on the internet about white lotuses, like the, the actual flower, um, you know, I stumbled across this article that was talking about 
you know, other names for that particular type of plant. Oh, it's also a tiger lotus? Yep. Uh, oh. an, a, another name was a, an Egyptian white uh, water lily. Okay. Egyptian that's white water lily. That's not as cool lily. sounding. Nah. No. So as soon as I read tiger lotus, it's like, boom, that's it. That's easy to brand. It's easy kind of to market. Um, you know, the I, I felt like I could come up with a, a decent logo that would kind of reflect the name and the brand. Anyway, just as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's, that's it. That works. Yeah. So we are outside on the strip in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, it's hot. Well, uh, it's not as hot as it usually is. Well, it rained today. This is, I, I've been coming to Vegas for like the last 20 years. Yep. This is the first time I've ever seen it rain here. I, I feel like a couple years ago, it sprinkled briefly, yeah. but it was just long enough for it to evaporate as soon as it hit the ground. Yeah. It was I think crazy. somebody was just emptying a chemical yeah. toilet out of an yeah, airplane or something. Yeah, very possible, but yeah, um, yeah we... We, we managed to pop our heads out of the, the registration area there for a second, you know, out, out one of the side doors. Yeah. And it was raining and thunder and stuff. And I was like, man, it's almost like Florida right now. <laughs> what is, what's happening? Disgustingly hot and yeah. sweaty. Yep. Yep. So what's your, what's your, you're on the volunteer army yes. this year. Yep. What's your uh, job this year? Well, uh, I'm a super volunteer. Uh, this is my fifth conference uh, volunteering uh, and I'm working the raffle booth mainly. Cool. Selling some tickets. So what does it mean to be a super volunteer? Do you have like more responsibilities? You're more trusted because you've I, done it a I think, few years? I think so. Um, you know, we definitely we definitely have more experience mm -hmm. kind of going through the motions of, of doing the volunteer stuff. Uh, I I think we've kind of proven that we're, we're capable of doing those tasks successfully. Um, but yeah, you know, super volunteer, man. So you started out as a scholar. Yes. And that was, what, five years ago? Uh, 2014. 2014? So technically, it was four years ago, but this is my fifth conference. It's what kind of impact did that have on your career? It, it completely changed my life. Yeah. Um, I, I I went home, quit my job, opened my own shop, and, and did everything completely different than I'd been doing. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Complete game changer. Yeah. Um, it. it kind of gave me the the opportunity to realize that that I can I could do these things successfully because there was hundreds of success stories yeah. similar you know like every piercer that that I'd met had a, a similar upbringing of like hey I kind of worked in a crappy shop and I, I started doing stuff the right way and using good jewelry and safer practices and and it worked for me and we're profitable and we're making more money than ever and doing less work you yeah know? that's that's all I mean do you yeah. feel like the people that want to get better, it's just that they don't know where to start or they don't have the confidence to start and conference can kind of give them that nudge or they don't have the information. They don't know what they need to start. I, I think it's a lot of stuff, man. You know, I, I think a, a lot of piercers are kind of like stuck in this situation that they're in where they're working for somebody that maybe doesn't see the benefits of, of offering a safer option, mm. you know, and uh, maybe maybe they don't fully understand that it's it's the reasons why it's better. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly coming to conference, uh, really, really, just writes it all out like black and white. Like, okay, this way of doing things is safer, mm -hmm. and you're gonna heal better and faster, and it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So, what would be some advice that you would give somebody if it was their first year coming to conference? Would you steer them towards like a certain kinds of kind of a class or a certain experience at conference, like the expo, or where um, would you steer them? I mean, I my. Personally, with myself, I, I kind of just focused on the technique kind of classes. Um, for whatever reason, I thought that's what was lacking in my career. It's like, oh, the only thing you know that that they got over me is you know they do it freehand. And, yeah. You know, and, and that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, it's 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 everything. You know, even even as much as like customer service and sales and um, you know having like an extensive knowledge of the material that mm. you're using, I think can be super beneficial. Yeah. You know if. if if you can explain to somebody why titanium might be a better choice than, you know, like a, a crappy mall steel yeah. option, you know, then then you're going to win them over and, and it's going to be an easier thing to sell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I think everybody kind of gets a different, something different from conference. Um, you know, everybody kind of has a different skill set coming into this experience. Yeah, so, and that kind of shapes yeah, what they yeah, gravitate exactly. towards. And, and that's what's great about conferences. You have you have multiple facets and multiple angles of of subject matter that you can take, mm -hmm. you know, or take home with you. Yeah, cool. So, 
pretty what, uh, what are you looking forward to for the week? Uh, man, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I, I certainly always enjoy the classes. Um, a lot of the, the APP events, you know, like the opening party and banquet. Mm. Man, banquet last year was, it It just seemed like it hit me really hard. And like the whole week kind of built to that. And then yeah. I got there and, you know, got to spend it with like the volunteer family. It, it was magical, man. Like, yeah. We're all dancing forever. <laughs> and especially Polly winning too yeah. to put a little extra special wow. sauce in the night. Dude, <laughs> that's crazy. I felt like I won with him. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't get your percentage. Yeah. Yep. Where's Are you going to do any karaoke? Do you sing at all? Uh, nah. No, I don't know. Nah. Either. I mean, maybe if I get, you know, enough beers in me, I might. A little saucy. It's, it wouldn't be good. Oh, shit. Somebody's dying. Call the ambulance. <laughs> ambulance. All right, so uh, I'm going to head back in because it's, like, gross outside. Yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks for talking to me, John. because I have made that mistake more than once. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're in the registration area. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Danny. Uh, I'm Danny Greenwood. I work at Cold Steel America in San Francisco. Um, I've worked there for, it'll be 10 years in August. Really? Yeah. Wow. Been there a long time, yeah. Yeah, that's a really long time. Um, so we were just talking a minute ago about how a lot of people mistake that you're a piercer. Yeah. <laughs> so how long has it been that you've been coming to conference? Uh, this is my seventh year, I believe, and I have volunteered every year. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. probably it. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of a lot of non-piercers come mm-hmm. to conference, but yeah. some of the ones that do and volunteer seem to be like really integral, like you and Bador is another really good mm-hmm. example, and yeah. like a couple other people, and it just, you know, Stephanie, and it would just feel weird with, yeah. without those certain faces here. Yeah, it's also really easy just to assume that this is a piercing conference right. for piercers to learn things, yeah. so everyone here is probably a piercer. Yeah, I mean, I it's like, so. you know, I, yeah. I call it more of a trade show than a mm-hmm. conference. It's just sure. anybody that's related to the industry. Mm-hmm. So what's some of the stuff that you do during the week here? Um, so I am one of the managers of the APP merchandise booth. Um, so I essentially do what I do at home, but here mm-hmm. <laughs> I sell stuff all week. Um, but I'm also the uh, like APP graphic designer, so I um, come up with the ideas for merch every year and then design um, the graphics that go on them and order them and stuff. So that sounds like a fun job. Although <laughs> it's I guess fun. it's kind of frustrating if you end up like going in a direction where you really you kind of fall in love with the design and yeah. then somewhere in the machine it gets kind of changed <laughs> up yeah and and it, it can happen um yeah <laughs> and it is it is frustrating but i mean that's also that's just being a designer yeah. in general you know you can't necessarily nail it the first time like i, I feel me, like I, I have a pretty good track record but um but also sometimes like when you're working with multiple like committees and boards of people um like you might have one committee decide and fall in love with something but then the other committee doesn't like it as much and so that right. can kind of affect um the ending outcome um but yeah i just try to make good stuff that people will want to buy and wear and um i'm pretty stoked that we've been kind of pulling the merchandise into like more modern directions like when I took it over a few years ago um, we were still ordering you know like bulky gilded mm. t-shirts the cheap cheap ones. yeah the cheap cheap ones yeah. from like not a great printer in like ugly colorways and stuff like that and so um, just being able to have merchandise like my first year out everyone was like oh my god finally t-shirts on like a soft like american apparel yeah. like yes you know so i was like fuck yes nailing it <laughs> yeah. who was responsible for the booty shorts <laughs> me <laughs> thumbs up yep <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure everybody's a fan of those <laughs> not to toot my own horn um yeah and that's also part i think of of the merch booth being a little more um successful um, in the past couple of years is I basically live on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm on the internet all the time. And so just seeing like, oh, like a lot of our peers are kind of getting into like sort of workout gear, but still mm. cute and fun and, and kind of paying attention to that. Um, I do have to crush some dreams for this year. The theme is gold. We tried to find flashy gold booty shorts. No luck. It just, yeah, not for wholesale to get printed. All right, like, so I yeah, guess I should just I leave now. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, everyone's going to be bitching at me all week about it, so I'm sorry. What's, what's <laughs> your favorite merch item this year? 
Um, oh man. Um, we have really good hoodies again, like just really nice material. Those are always fun, always, always a crowd favorite. Um, long sleeve t-shirts this year. Those have been kind of hot around the internet, mm-hmm. you know, old, like kind of hardcore, like band shirt style. Yep. Um, our water bottle is cute this year. We have a headlamp this year. Ooh. Yep, some it, new it, bumper stickers. Does it have stickers. Jeff Saunders' signature on the side? <laughs> yeah, the, the president yeah. <laughs> edition. No, I kind of wish I'd thought of that. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe next time. I don't know. I'm going to put in a request for future years. <laughs> yes. uh, I like those button-down work shirts. I really like the short sleeve one that I have. Sure, um, and we might revisit those. They're just tricky because, like... And, and coming from a person of a rotund body shape, um, rotund means fat, by the way, so <laughs> you guys don't have to look that up. Um, those are incredibly unflattering on a lot of body types. Yes. Um, but I mean, like, I will happily revisit them. Like, if people give us feedback, like in those surveys and stuff like that, or even just telling us at the merch booth, like, oh man, I'd love to see those. If I get an overwhelming amount of people telling me they want those work shirts, I'm gonna fucking get some work shirts. Um, yeah. They're just tricky. Because yeah. they, they look very boxy on mm. a lot of body types. And so Frumpy. it's, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a hard one, but not opposed to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if not, maybe just kind of sneak in and add on one. <laughs> sure, just one yeah, just single. One. Yeah. Yeah, and get Ryan this is embroidered a special on the front. Ryan, will Ryan yeah. work shirt. <laughs> maybe if you ever become president. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Do you have time to take any classes this year? I do. Um, I'm taking. I can't even remember right now because my brain is straight garbage. Thanks for being prepared. You know, uh, you sprung this on me like two (laughs) seconds ago, whatever. Um, uh, I'll start with actually I'm teaching a couple of things. I'm doing the photography workshop with Johnny in April that I'm pretty excited about. Nice. Um, And then I'm doing another Take PP this year. I've done a couple of those now. Um, The front counter one? Yeah, yeah. uh, the badass front of house. Um, Kind of revisiting a topic that I did last year. uh, that I didn't really get a chance to kind of expand upon or talk to more than seven people about um, that I'm pretty excited about, about basically if you're having a hard time finding good counter staff, that it might be your fault. Mm. <laughs> like things to look at in yourself. Yeah. You know, as opposed Why to Why won't anybody work it? Sucks. Wicked, sick, ink cats, <laughs> <Yeah>. body art. <laughs> you know? Uh, so I'm excited for those. And then I'm taking the gold sales one. Mainly to sort support my uh, my baby boo Brianna Gata. She's always got some good stuff. I'm also taking her gemstones class mm. with Leo that I'm so excited about. That one looks it's good. It's gonna be fucking cool. Yeah. She gave me a little sneaky peek and it looks fucking awesome. Um, she's like the gem whisperer. Like oh my we, gosh. We had a talk on one yes. of my episodes before. We were talking all about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, you gotta try this. You gotta try this. I ordered some and I just I got not excellent cuts of the stones. It can be hard. Um, yeah. Sometimes your first couple rounds and like she and I were we're really good friends and. So we talk about it a lot and like I will I bug the shit out of her <laughs> about gemstones and I'm just like, oh that stone you just ordered. I'm gonna do that now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm biting your style. Um but I, I've had a couple orders. You know, we just had a recent really big order this past Christmas where I finally got to kind of experiment with some stuff and learned like, oh, rose cut rainbow moonstone and anything smaller than like a five millimeter, don't even do yeah, it. Yeah. Bother. Oh, rose cut rose quartz and anything smaller than a five millimeter no. Yeah. <laughs> like not a thing. I yeah. make some mistakes thinking like, oh, three millimeters <laughs> fine, good yeah. enough to show off detail, mm-hmm. and you get it. And it's like this looks like mud. Mm-hmm. And it can that can be true for a decent amount of stones, like the R three mil rose cut chrysoprase, um, which I'm biased. It's like my favorite stone. I can um, tell. Yeah, you know, um, P- our clients have been fucking going bonkers for it, which I'm stoked on because it's such a hard like stone. Like it's either mm. right up people's alley because it's nice and bright and poppy, or it's too bright and poppy. And so it's one of those like, ooh, how is this guy going to do this do you time? like to set it in? Um, I'm a rose gold fan. Okay. I personally prefer rose gold, but um, we have it in yellow gold, rose gold, and white gold right now. Um, love it on all the tones. Um, the white gold brings out a little bit more of like the green in mm-hmm. it. Um, so that's really cool. Um, just seeing those different tones that come out in the different um, colors. Uh, but yeah, I love chrysoprase, and um, I have to watch myself and make sure I'm not getting it in like literally everything, yeah. <laughs> like with every order, because left to my own devices, it would be like chrysoprase and rutilated quartz. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that kind of shit like in every order um so i have to like kind of like nope like you can do that a, a couple bit. orders from now like give it a minute um but yeah i've been really stoked on it but yeah it's a it's a 
you live and you learn. You know, you figure some things out. Yeah, and I'm still just trying. Just have those little notes. Um, and also just paying attention to stuff in your, like, area. Mm-hmm. Like, what colors are already kind of popular. Playing it safe for the first couple orders and taking it from there. Um, but also doing stuff like... Um, uh, letting big companies do a lot of the work for you and yeah. figuring out trends in color. Like right. I tell people, um, every once in a while, just pop into like a Forever 21 or an H&M, look at their garbage jewelry mm-hmm. selection, uh, embrace that it's garbage, but like look at the colors that they have there. Boom, that tells you what is going to be like hot in the next season, yeah. you know? And so like pay attention to that. So here's the, here's the thing in yeah. the modern age, how mm-hmm. do you order jewelry for the next season when, when you have to plan three or four months oh, ahead and, of time. Yeah, I still have not quite <laughs> gotten that one down. As well as, like, right now, like, we're, you know, we're a small studio. Like, we've been around for quite a while, but, um, you know, our, our, our boss has like the one job you know like we don't have another business to like funnel money in from which is great if you have that i am envious if you have that so for us like every dollar we make on stuff goes right back into ordering more stuff Mm -hmm. which i am really proud of um because i've helped just really build that up over the 10 years that i've been here um but yeah uh, trying to guess seasons from now i still have not nailed that um i try to more like like oh shit christmas is coming up that means people are going to be buying jewelry for like spouses and moms and stuff let's get a lot of genuine diamonds Mm -hmm. in here fucking classic a lot of pearls you know playing it again a little bit safe um but i've i've just also taken to like okay for every order that i have a bunch of seam rings that are going to sell and a bunch of diamonds i'm gonna throw in a couple of like "Hmm, let's see how this does Mm. because things can really surprise you yeah (laughs) Yeah. i feel like when Mm -hmm. i try that and i you know i get my Mm. my basics i get my you know basics plus mm-hmm. one or whatever mm-hmm. and then when i try to like do that reach for the stars kind mm-hmm. of selection mm-hmm. those are the ones that sit in my case for like a year they can yeah. and it's a weird and that like also for us too is hard because we'll have some stuff where i'm like all right that retails for like 900 dollars, mm-hmm. like and they either sell the second you get them or they like sit for a while um now i do use those still um having jewelry that sits for a minute and just looks pretty has helped me place so many custom orders Mm. for things just because a people get to kind of see the piece in person and see dimensions and how stones go together and then you just really start talking like oh we have that piece with like rhodolite and champagne sapphires but if you'd rather have it with a more specific color combination Mm. like we could totally do that um so i'll still kind of like make them earn their their keep a little bit in that way um but also these days i feel like there's so many studios like oh man like oh swapsies <laughs> like do you have anything that you don't have that's right. moving that's kind of in a similar price range like yeah. maybe we can do a little trade i've done that once or so. twice and it's worked mm-hmm. out good for me yeah um but just knowing that that's an option is kind mm-hmm. of awesome um but yeah sometimes jewelry is really hard <laughs> yeah. yeah ours is also tricky because we're in such a touristy area like hate street in san francisco do like you, do you find that that helps being able to move higher ticket pieces or oof. do you feel like it makes people even more like well i bet i could get this cheaper back home mm-hmm. little bit of both it can kind of um <laughs> depend on the language barrier um someone who comes in who is from a different place where they still speak plenty of english um i can talk to them about why it's that price mm-hmm. i can break it down i can be like oh i know you're from like germany Explain and you're just seeing like yeah. garbage like guess what this is awesome also no one from back home is gonna have this mm-hmm. which for europeans is a huge selling point yeah uh, the fact that no one else is gonna have it where they're from um but uh no it just makes it really hard to like plan things mm. um because we have a constantly rotating clientele from all over the world like what's popular in that region of france is not necessarily going to be popular in this other region in australia you know funny how that works and so like i get kind of envious of people who are like okay so come around february is when we sell a lot of this and this and i'm like i literally have no idea what's going to be like super popular next month so i'm just gonna try this and that and that other thing so um yeah it's it's hard though well you know (laughs) there's no perfect formula i I think it's one of those like um you gotta maybe learn from some mistakes which Mm. i've tried to do you know and now i just try to make fewer and fewer mistakes with each jewelry order yeah and that's i think that's what we all strive for um it does also help that we have an online store Mm. um that helps a lot because again like 
what is no longer selling in San Francisco. Yeah, it might still be might hot be in... In, like, the Midwest right. and shit like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's really handy to kind of move some pieces sometimes. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Um, but also... I don't know uh up your instagram game mm-hmm. you know like get them them good photos of that jewelry yeah. you know a good photo of jewelry can absolutely mean a sale or not evan know, has a nice so. camera now nice. so i'm gonna force him <laughs> okay. to be the photo Put his ass to the work. photo friend <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah and that can just make a really big difference um because again like you're bringing attention to that piece that uh, someone may have never come across mm. until you took a really nice photo of it yeah and, yeah um, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, one more time. Who are you? Where do you work? <laughs> Social media? Anything you want people to know? Uh, Danny Greenwood. I work at Cold Steel America in San Francisco. Um, if you want, I'm on Instagram and stuff. Uh, it's Danzilla. D-A-N-N-Z-I-L-L-A. Yeah. Um, not with AOL. one N, because that is some random guy who has been tagged in pictures really? over the years. Yeah. yeah, so many times. I feel so bad. Um, it's I, it's not particularly exciting. It's a lot That's of pictures of food exciting. and, like, my face and my cat and stuff. So. Cats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, occasionally I do videos about my dumb mug collection. Nice. <laughs> so. Cool. All right. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me. Yeah, yeah. Did I actually record this one? I did. <laughs> Good job. All right, so you got two great people right there, Danny and John. Uh, I've got a few more of those uh, short format interviews from conference still, and, and I'll kind of put those into uh, episodes here and there over the next few weeks until they're, they're all used up. Um, one episode I'm going to be working on for early in the fall is kind of a, a memorial for Shannon Lerat. Shannon's birthday is going to be coming up in September. And I wanted to kind of do uh, an episode about BME and, and Shannon and, and Shannon's legacy. And um, I, I'd like your input. So if you were part of BME, if you were on I Am, you know, if Shannon influenced your life in some way and you'd like to be part of that episode, uh, feel free to uh, record a short uh, piece of audio for me, you know, something under two minutes, you know, if it's 30 seconds, if it's a minute long, a minute and a half, that'd be totally great. Um, either in MP3 format or WAV format, you can just record it on your phone, you can record it on your computer, pretty easy. Um, feel free to email it to me at ryanpba at gmail.com and uh, I can add that to my Shannon Lerat Memorial episode when, uh, when I get that posted in uh, September, hopefully. Uh, up next, I've got that interview with Ed Chavarria, and um, you know, I'd say it's kind of fitting that I, I mentioned the Shannon thing because we talk about legacy. You know, we talk about uh, Fakir's passing, how that impacted us, how that impacted the industry, and where we kind of go from here. You know, um, what what makes someone um, that that kind of uh, giant in the in the industry? You know, the, those names that are not going to be forgotten. You know. Uh, uh, Jim Wards and Elaine Angels and Fakir and, and who are those names going to be for future generations? You know, is it going to be uh, Beth Rasumsky? Is it going to be Cody Vaughn? You know, who, who is it going to be? You know, who's going to have that, that lasting legacy? And, um, you know, what, is it, what does it take to get there? Is it talent? Is it personality? Is it um, marketing? You know, what, what is it? So I uh, talk a good amount to, uh, to Ed about that. And um, I'll be back a little bit more after the interview. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> this is the this is the third one we've done, right? Third one, yeah. Third one, All number right. three. So we were we were chatting a little bit as I was making some eggs and um, kind of talking about the different schools of body piercers. With uh, Fakir just passing yesterday, there's kind of the school of the Fakir uh, piercers. There's maybe like the Jim Ward gauntlet piercers, and then. Um, I think there's also the Shannon Lerat BME piercers. So do you, do you feel like there are any other schools or do you feel like those three kind of categorize the majority of people? I think that those three definitely categorize body piercing or modern day body piercing. Um, and even uh, calling it the, uh, the holy trinity of body piercers. Um, the unholy trinity. <laughs> So what would you, how would you classify yourself? Um, you know, I think that when I first started, I was learning and working with people that were of both, both schools, so to say, and uh, both the Gauntlet and Fakir schools. Um, but I think if I really had to, to break down and like analyze how I do things and the way I work, I think I'm going to say that I'm more on the Gauntlet side. Yeah. Yeah, more on the Jim Ward Gauntlet side of things. 
for me, I think it was, you know, it, it started with, it started with modern primitives for me. So that was a little bit of Fakir, um, a little bit of Gauntlet, but I think like I didn't really figure out who I was becoming until I found BME. So I would say I'm definitely in that category and kind of what we were talking about earlier too. I think it's because the BME vibe felt more like the the goth table in the cafeteria sort of thing for me. You know, it wasn't it wasn't about kink culture. It wasn't about spirituality. It was just about like, you know, I got made fun of in high school and, you know, now I'm like the goth kid that's into piercing and BME just felt comfortable because it was like, I think it, part a big part of it was because it was an online community. So it was much more anonymous. Um, I didn't have to interact with people face to face. I would interact with them online so I could kind of create not necessarily a persona, but I could be comfortable with who I was online if I wasn't necessarily comfortable with who I was in the real world. And it was just way easier to like sit in on conversations in a forum than it was for me to like sit in on a conversation with a, a person in, in the real world. I'm the opposite, man. I'm still horrible at interneting. And back then I was even worse. Mm. I knew what BME was because uh, uh, my friends were on it and everybody kept trying to convince me to get on it. But it just wasn't, I don't know, it never appealed to me. I, I always was like, oh, that's just some like online stuff, like people that just can't interact with other people. And like, I'd rather go hang out with friends and yeah. like, go do things and go places. And so I was always the exact opposite of that, you know. Um, I did finally get on it and some of it was exactly what I thought it would be. Um, but it was definitely also like a whole nother world where, where I did get to meet people that I otherwise wouldn't have met. You know, I, I don't think I would have really met you until you started going to conference if it wasn't for BME and pretty much there's lots of other piercers that like, I really, that's where I got to really meet them first. And, and it opened my world to like definitely way other and different opinions than I was used to. Um, it was challenging, you know, people wanted you to justify why you did what you did and, you know, in certain realms, I just wasn't used to that. So it was like, cool, like you guys are making me think and uh, you're making me justify why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's cool. Like, I'm feeling good about this. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, those are the three worlds, I think, you know, and I almost wish we had a third person in here that was on the, the Fakir end. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Jeff really quick and get his info from him. Yeah, like the, the Fakir thing... Um, I, I always knew it was there. I always knew it was an option. Like when I was when I was coming up in my career, the Fakir intensives weren't really um, as they were they were accessible, you know. But they they weren't really as um, ubiquitous and, and pushed quite as much as uh, as now. Like now, when people think about body piercer education, they talk about Fakir in the same breath that they talk about going to conference and things like that. And for me, it's like I always knew Fakir was there, but I never really, I don't know if it was just that it didn't feel like it was the right fit for me or whatever. Um, what I really wanted to do for a long time was do one of the gauntlet seminars because I they, they used to run them in New York. And that was like a career goal for me for a long time. And, you know, I, I just, I never did it. Um, I almost feel like I'm better off for not doing it because I, I feel like if I had gotten certain information uh, earlier on in my career, I wouldn't have like worked as hard back home to like find information and, and find where I fit in. Like I, I, I think I would have been a, a very different piercer if I had tried to fit into someone else's mold of what a piercer was rather than trying to like find my own path, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, and I mean, you predominantly worked by yourself for a very long time. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where I had a, a really cool advantage, you know, during during my initial learnings and, and working, I was working with three other people that were of their own thing, you know? Like, yeah. You know, I, I want to say that between both my mentors, one was Fakir, one was Gauntlet. Mm -hmm. um, the other peers at the shop was definitely a Fakir, went to the Fakir intensives, you know? So I had a little bit of both worlds presented to me throughout the entire time that I was learning. Um, so I feel like... In the beginning, it was really kind of hard for me to think, you know, which way maybe I would have gone. I, I maybe in the beginning, I might have thought more heavy on the Fakir side because of my own personal beliefs with getting pierced and my own personal practices. 
Um, but like now as a season piercer and going back and looking at things, that's why I think more comfortably I can say Gauntlet, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy that we have these three people that are like the, like our forefathers, our mentors or whatever. And, and like, what's next? Who's next? Mm. You know, at this point, like, how do you become that next influential piercer? I think a lot of it is time, you know, because... You know, we mentioned some names of people that are influential now in today's industry, and who knows if they'll stand the test of time, because there are, there are piercers that, that come and go, they, they're in the industry, they're prolific, they, they make a big impact on people, but then maybe they kind of step back a little bit, you know, and they decide that this isn't their forever career, that, you know, they, they cared about it, you know, like they weren't a tourist, but, they, you know, they decided to move on to other things in their life, like a, a really good example would be like, like somebody like Dave Gilstrap. Um, you know, Dave was really well known for, you know, super solid piercer, really uh, solid scarification artist, and then kind of went went in a different direction, you know. Um, yeah. Eric Anderson, Squeeze, you know, and a, a bunch of different people have kind of like stepped back, stepped aside, stepped into other roles. Um, so it's it's tough, you know. Like there were people 10 years ago where if I had to make a list of like, you know, these are these are people at the top of the industry. Like a lot of them aren't aren't in the industry now, or you know they're they're really not um, you know making making waves in it. No, no, or they're yeah, no. Most of them have left or just manage a shop now and don't really pierce anymore. Yeah. Do you feel like you would ever get to that point? Do you feel like you would ever get to a point where either as like a studio owner or as a studio manager or whatever role that you wouldn't want to still be a piercer? I would like to think that I could pierce forever, man. Um, but, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Um, there's definitely going to be a shelf life to it. Um, I don't know when that's going to be. Most of it will depend on, on how frequently I have to get stronger glasses. Right. Um, I think that uh, I'll always have access to, I'll always pierce certain people. But I think there'll be a time and day where I won't be able to do it full time. Uh, sadly, I know. think the time where I can't do it full time is already here. Like I, uh, last week I covered one extra day for Evan because he covered a whole bunch of time for me when I went to conference. So I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, extra day off for Evan. And I worked one extra day and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I, I went, going from like just two days to three days in a week was already like, yeah, man. Like I, I used to live it, breathe it, um, all day, every day. You know, I'd be at the shop six or seven days a week. And now, like, you know, I'll still I'll still go in, I'll do, uh, you know, an appointment, I'll do some office work, I'll do whatever. But then, like, I love that I can just walk out the door and go home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and start cooking dinner or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, um, I think five years from now, I'll, I'll probably want to not have any regular piercing shifts. I'll, I would still love, just like you said, I would love to be able to do this forever because you know it's it's who I am it's it's my personal identity um, so if I didn't have the access to it and and the the ability to, to do it when I wanted to or appointments or something like that I think I would feel really sad but I don't think that uh, you know within the next five years I don't think I'm gonna be able to be a full-time piercer anymore Wow yeah yeah no I mean it, it doesn't get any easier it definitely takes a toll on you but I'm really happy for myself that 17 years in, almost 18 years, I can, I'm still doing it full time. You know, I still pierce four or five days a week, um, and and I still love it. You know, it's definitely it has its moments, and and some days are harder than others. But I would say 90% of the time, I'm really happy with my life decisions, and I'm really really stoked that I'm still doing what I love doing, and I feel really lucky. Um, you know, most piercers stop after a while you know like yeah. there's not really a lot of people that make it past you know year 10 year 15 i think a lot of that is, is time. money you know yeah. because i i think not every piercer knows how to make it a viable career you know like it, it might be a, a job for them and they might they might do okay you know they there, there's a there's a line in your life you know whether it's uh body piercing or whether it's whatever job industry career whatever where you, you don't want to just live in an apartment for the rest of your life. You know, mm -hmm. you want to have maybe a house, or you want to support a family or something like that. And I think some people can't find that income in the body piercing industry unless they're, you know, something like a studio owner 
or something where they have like maybe a secondary revenue stream or something like that, you know? So, um, you know, I've been fortunate where, you know, I, I own the studio, um, so that makes it a little bit easier for me. But I, I think also on the flip side of it, it makes it harder for me to just enjoy being a piercer because whenever I'm a piercer, I, I'm not just a piercer. I'm also like, you know, if, if something breaks, it's, hey, Ryan, this is broken. Get somebody in here to fix it or fix it yourself. You know, hey, there's a problem with the, the trash pickup company. Hey, we're, we're out of some medical supply. Hey, you know, you got to do this. You got to do that. Like I have to, I have to deal with all the, the problems that come up and, and kind of keep the, the ship going in the right direction. I can't just enjoy the customer interactions and, and that's it, you know? So I, I totally envy when piercers say that they can like, they can just show up, they can sell jewelry, pierce people, make people happy and, and go home at the end of the day. Um, I, I feel like when you get to a, a certain point with, with your business, you know, you, you can enjoy it, but uh, you still have to carry the weight of the business with you while you're trying to enjoy other things. And it, it makes it a little bit, a little bit more challenging. Totally. Yeah. And I think you hit it, man. I think it's money. Like, I think that, that there is a certain, as an employee for somebody, there's a cap. You know, you're only going to make so much money. Mm -hmm. You can only do so many piercings. Uh, depending on how you get paid, the shop can only afford to pay you so much. Yeah. Um, so there's a cap, man. And it really, at a certain point, you just keep doing it because you love it. But, you know, that, that does make a good a good point as far as, like, maybe why people leave after a while. Yeah. Um, and it's... Little spoiler alert here: it's the reason why I'm going to be opening my own studio. Cool. You know, like it's, it, it's I, I hit a max of what I could make financially working yeah. at really awesome studios and having a really good time. But I am getting older, and I want more things in my life that being someone's employee aren't going to facilitate for me. Do you think that there's a, a negative that so many younger piercers are deciding to open their own studios? Because I I feel like it. It waters down the industry when you have a, a piercer who's got maybe around five years experience and they get frustrated at, you know, maybe they work for someone who doesn't want to make certain improvements, get in certain jewelry. So they kind of, they think, I'm going to go off on my own and I'm going to open a place. But I feel like when you get to that point, you progress slower because you get so distracted by things. You have such a financial burden, all these different things where, you know, you, your shop might be doing good. But I feel like if you put in that extra maybe five years, either working for another studio, guest spotting in another studio, I think I feel like that makes you a stronger piercer. Like I feel like my progression was really slow. Like I owned the shop and I could basically do what I wanted when I wanted, but I didn't really have mentoring. I didn't really have a lot of experience to other studios. I didn't have time to get out in, in shadow or guest spot or, or, you know, go to extra educational things. You know, I went to conference, but that's pretty much it. But I, I kind of, um, I, like, I'm psyched that someone like you is opening a studio, you know, because you've got tons of experience. You know, you're, you're highly regarded as, as being like a seasoned professional. But I see a lot of other people opening studios when they don't even necessarily like know where they're at skill wise for piercers you know in forums if people are asking you know how do I do this piercing where do I buy this jewelry in the same series of questions as and also how do I run a business how do I open a business things like that you know it it, it seems like people are doing things in the wrong order like running before they can even walk okay yeah 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 um, you know I, I feel that the way I got taught in this industry really kind of set a path for me and, you know, obviously when it was happening, I didn't appreciate it, but I had a really long apprenticeship. You know, my apprenticeship was three and a half years, and that's a really fucking long time to be learning something. But the one thing that I really appreciated after the fact was when I started moving and traveling that there's rarely been a situation in the piercing room where I didn't know what to do. Right. And even as a really novice piercer, first moving around and first traveling around, Oftentimes, I would show up to shops with really simple answers to questions that people were, you know, cracking their skulls over for a while. Mm -hmm. And so that really, that really has helped me appreciate the slower approach to things. You know, I really like that I've worked for a ton of different studios. I really like that I've been able to travel most of this country guest spotting and, and seeing a lot of studios. So I think that with all that, it's, it's kind of like made me feel okay with you know, just being the employee 
because I've been learning from so many different facets. And now I'm just at a point where it's like, cool, like, I just need to take this next step. Mm -hmm. It's my natural next step. And for me, at least, I feel that it's going to help me in running a studio, doing something that I have never done on my own. Absolutely. But I've been watching it done and helping doing it in so many different places. Um, so I think I'm walking in with a certain level of knowledge that, that maybe I don't even know that I have until I start doing it. Well, you know, when when you get around as much as you have, you learn all the 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 best ways to do it because you don't walk you, you, nobody ever walks into a studio and they're like, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to show you the worst way to do this." You know, it's always like this is how I do it because th- this is my opinion of the best way to do it. Um, so like you've learned all those tips and tricks from all these different amazing studios and amazing piercers and you know, that's just going to make you way stronger, you know? So, um, I think in situations like one of the best ways you can learn is by learning other people's mistakes, you know, especially as a business owner, um, even some conversations that you and I have had, like I've shared a lot of my mistakes and a lot of things like, you know, oh, Hey, if I had done this three years earlier, five years earlier, 10 years earlier, um, and I, I think knowing those things going into it day one, you know, like knowing that you want to have an LLC, you know, from from day one rather than 10 years in like when I did it, you know, um, stuff like that. Huge, you know, like as a piercer, you're rock solid. But I think you've learned so much from how all these different shops run with their their front end and their back end and, you know, what jewelry they carry and why and, you know, how they sell it and, and why and, and uh, having all that having all those cards in your deck from day one is, is going to be a huge difference for you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're getting a little off topic here though. Cause we were talking about the, uh, the Holy Trinity of peace. Oh, right. It. Okay. All right. Sorry, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we kind of ramble. So, um, what do you, what do you feel like is going to happen with those three groups now that Fakir has, has passed away? Like, who do you think is going to, take up that mantle of, of that like sect of the industry or do you think that no one will and that it'll just be memories of Fakir and and you know sharing experiences that way or do you feel like someone else will step up and will kind of take that leadership role for that group um well I think that nobody will ever replace Fakir rest in power you know th- those are just two big issues to fill I think that the school from what I understand is going to continue to go on um you know, I think all those instructors know that way and can, can continue that legacy. But I don't I don't know if there's a one that's going to be the next, you know, and I think that's kind of like the we were talking about earlier, you know, like what happens next? You right. know, like like who do we look up to? Who is going to be that forefather or, 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 you know, mentor person that you can look up to or whatever? You yeah. Know? Um, Who's going to make us feel special? And I think a lot of it is just that people people develop personalities in a different way today. So when someone like Jim Ward or Fakir um, were kind of like creating themselves uh, through through their life, they didn't have the internet and they didn't have social media, so they needed to be like larger than life in person, you know. And I, I think a lot of piercers that I see now. They're larger than life online, and then when you meet them, they're just they're quiet and soft-spoken. Um, they don't really like put themselves out there, you know. And I, I think someone like Fakir, um, that personality was so huge that you you couldn't help but get swept up in that whole like cult of personality kind of thing, where you were like, oh my god, look at this person! Like they can articulate all this this passion and these these ideas and. Um, this like sexuality and, and spirituality and all these different things that were all wrapped into what body piercing was to them, you know, and through suspension and all these things that people had never seen before. And then Jim Ward, you know, being able to like create something like Gauntlet uh, and create it as more of like a, a, a business, as more of an industry, mentoring people that were that were coming into the industry who now are super prolific, you know, the Paul Kings and the Elaine Angels and, and those types of piercers. Um, and I, I think that now you have people that have big personalities, but they're personas, they're not personalities. So, um, they're kind of almost playing a character online, you know, whether they're putting something on YouTube or on Instagram or on a podcast, you know, like, uh, this, this isn't who I am. Uh, so like, you know, 
you were you were hanging out here last night and I'm just quiet sitting in my house watching wrestling. You're like I'm not oh, like yeah, I'm great. not <laughs> I'm not out there, you know, like doing stuff. So uh but like Fakir and Jim Ward and Shannon were like out there doing stuff and, and pulling people in to, to their school of thought. And I don't I don't know that there are piercers that are doing that now. So I think for the next five to ten years we're gonna be kind of dining out on the the memories of giants. You know, so we're going to be looking at someone like Fakir, sharing fond memories, telling crazy stories, talking about you know how Fakir influenced us. But then once that generation of piercers starts to trail off, you know, and maybe go into other careers or you know spend more time on their personal lives, family lives, um, what is the generation after them going to say? You know, the people who maybe came to the Fakir intensives but never met Fakir, you know. Um, what are those piercers going to say and how are those piercers going to remember the generation that, that came before them, you know, and how, how are people going to remember the gauntlet brand when, uh, Jim Ward isn't at conference anymore, when Elaine isn't at conference anymore, when Paul King isn't at conference anymore, like what, what is gauntlet going, going to be, you know, and, and what's like, you can already see BME, like how much BME has been diminished because that that community splintered so much. It really, really did. You know, and and you had all these people that were gathered in on BME, whether they were suspension or performance art, body hacking and scarification, piercers, tattooers, all this stuff. And then when when BME disintegrated, those communities splintered off and fractured. So all those people are still out there, but now they're in like their own little niche communities. So um, I don't know. I don't know how things are going to be. Like I, I know that there are, there are piercers now who I see as like leaders of the industry and like the titans of today. But are they going to be seen as titans twenty years from now? Like I think that's the thing. Is like what kind of legacy stands the test of time? And someone like Fakir, definitely that legacy will stand the test of time more than even just the industry. But I, I don't know. I don't know who else is there for for our industry's future. Yeah, no, draws. I'm drawing a blank to you. I mean, I, I definitely get. You know, there are the people now, like like Jeff Saunders. You know, is is a name that you know. I, I know people know Jeff, but like being in those board meetings with him and seeing the the way he thinks, the way he articulates a point, the way he can debate something without making you feel less than. And just kind of like share information and kind of win you over to, to his side of, of thought. You know, that's that's really uh, impressive to me, you know. So I think Jeff will have like a lasting impact, you know. Um, but there aren't a lot of people that put themselves out there that way. And I, I think a lot of times it's because they're they're kind of following someone else's legacy, you know. Like if there are people out there who are super talented, you um, you know, like uh, Whitney Thompson is a, a really good example. Like Whitney is a super solid piercer, um, like really, really impressive, really clean work, can do all kinds of amazing stuff. But Whitney um, doesn't really put herself out there as much. You know, she she did a lot more classes this year, but I feel like somebody like Whitney could be more of a, a stronger leader or more of a more of a mentor role. But she still feels like she's trying to catch up to the people that came before her. And that's just like me, that's just me guessing. Um, but, you know, if there are piercers out there who are kind of like waiting uh, to to follow in someone's footsteps rather than like blazing their own trail, I think that's why we, we maybe don't have as many strong leaders now. Hmm. That, that's, that's a good perspective on that. I think uh, I think you're right because that's what we all do. We 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 follow these trails that other people have have put in front of us, and yeah, maybe it's time for some people to just branch out, and maybe it could be one of us. <laughs> Not maybe. one of us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, that's the other thing too is like we also live in a in a in an era where um you know we're 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 really focused on technology, we're really focused on money, we're really focused on on personal gain. You know, and I'm sure a big part of Gauntlet, a big part of Fakir was, you know, we, we want to pay our bills too, but it, it seems like it was it was creating more of um, a mythology, a mindset, uh, a school of thought, you know, in a, in a school of body piercing, literally and, and figuratively. But now, you know, people are like, um, how do I grow my business? How do I get more employees? How do I 
give them insurance? How do I expand jewelry? How do you know? So we're focusing um, inward. We're not really focusing outward. Uh, when we focus outward, it's more focusing on Instagram likes and Facebook shares and and things like that. You know, it's it's not really trying to change the world. It's trying to carve out a little corner of the world for yourself. Mm. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's maybe just the world we live in now, where. You know, it's kind of like with bands, you know, where are like, where's, where's the next Led Zeppelin? You know, where's the next Fleetwood Mac? Like they're not out there because there's this corporate machine for, for music, you know, yeah. and not to say that it's a corporate machine for body piercing, but it's like, you can't, you can't just go off and be like, this is my interpretation on some ancient practice from India or, you know, from, from here or there, and I'm going to create my own mythology and I'm going to give myself a title, um, like Fakir and I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to create a, a, a color code and everybody's going to have a certain bandana in their back pocket because of my thought and, and, you know, what I want to create, you know, people don't do that now because they're going to get torn apart online from their peers. If, if someone was like, this is the way I do it. And this is, this is my own magic and my own secret sauce. People are going to be like, no, you're just an idiot. Just, just order an atom metal. Just do this. Just do that. It's already all been done. You have to do what we're doing. You have to do what we're doing. People don't like create their own mythology anymore because, you know, maybe they'll be laughed at or torn apart or, or not really accepted uh, in the way that someone like a Fakir or a Jim Ward or a Shane on the Rat could do. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hmm. Different times, you know? Yeah. Uh, can you think of anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stop this one and I'll save it. Alright, thanks for talking to me again, Ed. It's always fun to have you out. Uh, again, that's Eduardo Chavarria, uh, kind of piercer about the world, um, frequent guest spotter at lots of different studios, uh, and soon to be a studio owner. You know, wish you the, the best of luck with that, Ed, and uh, we'll have lots of information about Ed's studio as that business plan kind of uh, develops, and I'm sure I'll have him on the show again. He's kind of turning into my uh, co-host, basically. So um, not a lot going on for me. Uh, I'm working on uh, nailing down the dates for my Canada class. Um, I don't think I'm gonna do it in Toronto just because of expenses for a lot of people. I don't, I don't think the, the majority of the piercers who will be taking the class live in Toronto. They'll be traveling in. So I was thinking maybe more of uh, the suburbs of Toronto, keep the prices a little bit lower for you know hotels and, and parking and all that stuff. So looking uh, around the Hamilton, Cambridge, Guelph area of Ontario, and that's probably Probably going to be at the beginning of November so uh, any Canadian piercers out there kind of uh, you know put that put that on your radar uh, I, I will let everyone know um, as soon as I have that that date secured as you know I am a shameless self-promoter so I'm sure you'll be hearing about it quite a bit over the next few weeks I just have to uh, nail down the location for it not really sure if I want to do any other classes at the end of the the year you know I was thinking about trying to do maybe two or three more before the end of the year, but then I realized it's it's holiday season for people in the U.S., you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. People are going to be spending their money on a lot of other things, so I'm not really sure if they would prioritize a, a piercing class. So um, we'll see how it goes. You know, if I get some strong interest, maybe I'll try to, to get in something else before the end of the year. Um, but if not, I think 2019 is going to be a, a pretty big year for, for my classes. So um, we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, next week, uh, not again sure who I have uh, for the interview. I, I've got one recorded with Zach June from Kitten Flower and uh, Sleeping Goddess. I've got one recorded with Lucas Apira from Conference. I uh, have to get those edited, turn those into episodes for you. And um, I, again, I want to work on that Shannon Lerad episode. So if you want to be part of that and you want to send in some info, you know, let me know what BME meant to you. Let me know how it uh, affected your life. Um, record a, a short clip of audio for me and email it along to ryanpba at gmail.com or if you uh, put it on some sort of host website just send me the URL for it and uh, you know, I, can, I can download it off of there. Um, working on some other things, you know, I got new t-shirts coming out. Uh, I'm going to probably have some sort of an online shop for my Defend Piercing shirt that was exclusive to my classes for the first half of the year. 
Uh, I've got a piercing wizard shirt, and I've got a, a really cheesy uh, piercer pun shirt uh, involving the, the Gadsden snake. So um, as soon as I have all that ready, I'll put that online, and uh, hopefully one or two people will want to buy one of those shirts, but you know, we'll see. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure you come back next week, and uh, maybe tell your friends about it, or you know, give me a subscribe, or a listen, or a review, or a thumbs up, or a share, or whatever people do on the internet with podcasts. So thanks for listening. Talk to you later. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>